0: Well, listen, we're starting a new series today called Fight. It's a series on spiritual warfare, and it's exactly what I said. We're desiring your freedom, you know, and and, and a God does as well. And in January, we did a series called It Is Written to focus on life way and what we think about the Word of God. Then we did one on uh, on uh, circles, and we talked about relationships and the importance of experiencing connections and connection to a community. You were not made to do life alone, and I'll touch that again at the end of the message. But, but right now, I just want you to... Understand something that Jesus Christ died for you to walk in the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit and not to be a slave to anything. And if you start this service out today with that in mind, um, I believe God's going to touch your life. I want to open up with a story and tell you about a time when I was 11 years old. Uh, My dad had just bought VUE. It was a V-U-E. It was the first we didn't call it cable back then. Uh, it was a little pay-per-view type service. That's why they called it that. It sat on the top of our big wood cabinet TV. How many of you remember those TVs? They don't exist anymore. Maybe somewhere in somebody's you know, iconic collection, but they're definitely not useful. Um, But I remember my dad was watching a movie called The Octagon one night and Chuck Norris and all his spinning hook, kick glory was on there. And he was just doing his thing. And there was ninjas all around him, like 20 of them. And he was just crushing the 20 ninjas. And I remember as an 11 year old, I'm watching the TV and I'm like, dad, I wanna do that. So a few days later, I'm enrolled in a local karate school, and, and so uh, I, I'm I'm studying this, and for two years I, I worked my way up to a green belt. And in that school, that was the old school days We actually earned your belt as opposed to, well, anyway. So so we were we were training like that, and 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 so I had this like evil karate instructor. For those who've seen a uh, karate kid, the old ones, or you've seen cobra Kai, yeah, I had I had the Cobra Kai Dojo instructor, I had the bad guy. And so uh, we had one of the things we had to do to go to the next rank is we had to compete in these competitions, these karate tournaments. And so uh, uh, my first karate tournament I got into, you start out, you, you, the rules are basically, you've got to get to, you have a two minute match. You've got to get to, uh, whoever gets the most points at that time wins. You have a, uh, uh, a judge right here. And then two other judges who are watching every angle to see who's scoring points, which means you're hitting each other. And so we're in a 20-foot square, he has you bow, you bow. He gets right here, he says, ready, go. And so, and so you do your thing. But when he was there, ready, go, I wouldn't go. I'd just freeze. The guy on the other side would be coming at me like, waiting for me to do something. And I'd be like, judges, point, and they would go, point, give it to that guy. And I'd be like, and I did this for like, I think I got six tournament losses, six tournaments under my belt, where it went just like that every time. I got to where I tried to punch once in a while, but I was so afraid. I was so paralyzed of fear. Well, at about 13 years old, that ended my karate career. I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I think my dad was kind of disappointed, but he was waiting for the right time. And there was a month, there was a day that I went and found like a year later, I was about 14 years old. I found my karate uniform. I pulled it back out. I put it on, tied my little green belt on me. And my dad saw me. He said, Hey, why don't you let me train you? He said, I think, I think you can win. And, I, and so my dad saw that I had the right skills, but he saw what I was lacking. It wasn't skills that I was lacking. It sure wasn't speed that I was lacking. In that season, I was fast as lightning. I'm not, not as fast as today. i was as fast as molasses. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but it was my mindset that was missing. I had the skills of a fighter. I didn't have the mind of a fighter. And so my dad took me through this little summer training. It lasted about, I don't know, three months or so. And he would say, okay, first thing I want you to do is I want you to quit focusing on what your opponent can do to you. I want you to focus what you can do to your opponent. You're faster than almost everybody out there. So he said, I want you so he could just attack me, and he put this big air shield, he'd come out, and I just, and I go attack the, the air shield, and then he'd find my friend Mark, hey, Mark, this is like later in the summer after I've been training, hey, Mark, put these pads on, spar with Jimmy, and I'm chasing Mark all over my yard, you know, Mark's like, and I think my dad probably, Mark probably could have knocked me out, but I think dad paid him like 50 bucks and said, don't touch him, just, I don't know what happened there, he didn't tell me, but, but then we, so then dad signed me up for uh, this, this, this next karate tournament, and and when you, that day, when I was 14 years old, they didn't line you up, but it was all rank. It didn't matter what your size or weight was. I'm five foot tall at 14 years old. You can see I grew a very tall seven inches since then. But my opponent was six foot one. Six foot one. His reach was like, his reach was my elbow to my hand longer than mine. How many know in a fight that's not good? So... Um, so I'm, I'm obviously aware of this. We're standing in line, and this guy looks at me in all bully fashion and says, Well, after I destroy you, I'm gonna fight this guy and that guy. He acted like I was already beaten. See, but something had happened on the inside of My mindset had changed. And my mindset, I literally said, I just I looked at him and I said, Well, we'll see. And so we bow, the guy says, Go. And instead of freezing, I shot off the line right at my opponent. Bam! <laughs> and this guy, 20 feet, he's I knock him out. Well. I, I went from being demoralized by my opponent to demoralizing my opponent. Are you following me? So he got back in there, and on and on it would go. He did have the reach, and so point for point, we go back and forth. The two minutes is up. We are now. I think we were by like four points each, and we go into what's called sudden death. That means the next point wins. Your time's up, but we need a winner. Judges say, go. My dad, my dad said, he's going to come. My dad had been watching him. He goes, hey, my dad was in my corner. He said, he's going to swing at you with that ridge hand that he's been hitting you in the back of the neck with. He's going to swing at you with that again, duck, and then pound his ribs. So I come off the line. I run at him, fully aware. I just trusted my dad completely. That guy sure is, what my dad said, did it, sure is Texas. He just like swings. I'm like, bam, bam, bam. Hit that guy. Rah, champion. (laughs) Okay. I know what's happening right now there's some dudes out there right now who are going, I could take him yeah. you most certainly can okay I'm not wondering I'm 50 I, I get tired just acting that out okay so uh, I have security here people I wouldn't try that if I were you uh, but um, what's, it, what's that story have to do with you right I I think, I think, and the question I had, like, as I pondered that, as I reflected on it, even putting this message together, how did I go from being a grand loser to the grand champion of that whole competition that first time back? Because nothing in my history would have dictated that's going to be the case. See, I, I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins and rose again so that the Bible says, so that the church, the book of Romans says that we would be more than conquerors through him who loved us. He's not wanting you to be defeated by the circumstances in your life. And if I was going to win, my dad saw you don't need to know more skills, you need to know how to apply the skills in the right mindset if you're gonna win. Paul the Apostle in the book of Ephesians, he opens up the book of Ephesians, he begins to write to the church a letter. And he says, "Hey." I'm writing to a faithful, in Christ Jesus, church. You are good people, you love the Lord, and I'm praying that you would know the hope of your calling, the exceeding greatness of his power that works in you, this riches, these place, in the saints. I want you to know that. I want you to know how you've been seated in heavenly places in Christ, and there are powerful, powerful things that Christ is doing in your heart. So powerful, it's like when he raised Christ from the dead. And because of that, you can now live a new life. You don't have to walk in darkness and sin and addiction. In immorality, which would have been the kind of culture he would have been addressing uh, at, at, at Ephesus. But then he finishes the letter in an interesting way. Here's who you are in Christ. Here's how you should live. But what if you find difficulty doing those very things? You, in fact, do want to follow Jesus with all your heart. He concludes the letter with this. Ephesians six ten through 12. He closes it. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let me ask you a question. What if you have in your heart a desire? I want to follow God. I want to believe. I want to obey. But yet I find myself hitting up against this particular stronghold, this thing that keeps coming up in my life. Maybe it's lying. I just chronically lie. Maybe it's addictions, like like, like, like a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction. Maybe it's pornography or sexual immorality. It's limitless on the things that can entrap us. Maybe it's the pursuit out of of fear of greed and needing more and more stuff and money and a a lust for power. And you said, "I, I don't want those things in my life. I want to follow God. I want to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. And yet I try and I fail. And just like my fight with my opponent was demoralizing for me, that's why I quit. And maybe some of you are in a place right now in your relationship with God where you feel like giving up. You feel like quitting. I believe today God wants to give you some new mindsets. That if you take all the stuff you know, and if you don't know stuff, you learn some stuff, get in the Word, get in prayer. And He wants you to win. He doesn't want you stuck, He wants you free. And he wants you more than a conqueror, Not, not just, man, I'm surviving, but thriving, not surviving, but I'm winning and not by my own power, by the power of Jesus Christ. And so a spiritual fight similar to a physical fight, the reason I was losing was because of mindset. So when my father began to train me, I began to win. So I want to look at some mindsets. I'm going to give you three mindsets. If these things are in place, it will set you up to begin to win. And so I think you'll be effective in the wars that you face each day. The first mindset you need is you have a supernatural enemy. You have a supernatural enemy. You have an enemy that is not flesh and blood. It's above the natural. And sometimes it shows up in your flesh and blood relationships, but that's not the enemy. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Look at what the Apostle Peter starts out with. He just reiterates again. Be alert. You have a great enemy. His name is the devil. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not your spouse. It's not your boss. They may be influenced by the devil, but not you. Just them. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Barner Research uh, did a study, and from two thousand nine, it said almost sixty percent of self-professed Christians don't believe in a literal devil or demonic powers. Self-professed Christians, they believe that the devil is symbolic of evil. That means probably, because maybe we're a little bit different church, maybe 50, 45, 40% of you think that way. I don't know, I'm just playing. It could be 60% in this room. And then 25% of participants strongly affirm the devil's personal existence. And with that, many people don't believe in hell either. So let me ask you a few questions. And I'm talking to Christians here, and I want you to think about this. Okay, so if you're not a Christian, you came here today with a friend, And and you think that you might be thinking you're either curious or you think we're whack, but you come check it out anyway. (laughs) I don't know. We love you. God bless you. Welcome to LifeWay Church. Um, But to to the Christians here today, you see, you would call yourself like them, a self-professed. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. If the if if what the Bible says about the devil is not true, why would we ever trust what it says about Jesus? If what the Bible says about hell isn't true, why would I believe what it says about heaven since it talks about hell more than it does heaven anyway? Are you following me? I believe there's a real devil. I believe there's a real hell. Um, There's a psychiatrist, uh, Princeton uh, and Yale trained psychiatrist. His name's Richard Gallagher. He has a book coming out in October of this year. This psychiatrist is convinced that demons are real, and he's written a whole book about it, to address, really, people in his own occupation. So what happens to people is people will say, that person doesn't have a demon, they're they're just got some kind of mental problem. Well, it may be. I believe in mental problems. I don't have a problem with that, but I don't think everything's mental. Well, I mean, it all affects our mental. But, he, but he, he talked about his own experience of coming into that by meeting a lady who was, by, he was asked by a, a Catholic priest to come help assess the situation and he was he was met this lady, and he said he told the Catholic priest, "I'm very skeptical. I just need to know that." He said, "Well, we wouldn't have." The Catholic priest said, "We wouldn't have chosen you unless you were." And I'm very skeptical. So he goes in. He meets this lady. She was able to tell him things about his life, the sins that he struggled with, the whatever. He said, "That's not a psychosis. That's receiving information from a otherworldly or supernatural source." Wow. Yep. That was his own conclusion. Now, he would still be, remain in the realm of believing that demons don't just willy-nilly attack people, and we'll, we'll get to that. But I think the whole point is, is that just acknowledging the existence of demons, that they're not just a symbol of evil. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus had commissioned 70 people, just like the apostles, to go out, preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons, and so they came back after their missionary journey, and they come back, and in verse 17, they begin to say, hey, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I was there when he got kicked out. I saw the reality of that. Don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. But here's the point. The point is, they weren't casting out symbols of evil, Right? Symbols of evil can't put you in bondage and make you afflicted and have, have, have all kinds of, of, of weird things come to your head. Symbols of evil can't do that. He empowered them to deal with a very real supernatural entity in the form of the devil and his demons. And so when it comes to Satan, people usually fall into one or two errors, C.S. Lewis says. We either take him too seriously or we do not take him seriously enough. Listen, we all know that person. Maybe you are that person. I know I've been that person at a season of my life when this became new to me where you see a demon under every bush. You may know what I'm talking about. I couldn't find the right clothes today. I think the devil hid my shirt. I drove to work and my tire got flat. I think it was the devil. I went to the grocery store. I went to buy avocados. They weren't ripe. The devil was in my avocados. Friend, I do not think... Demons were possessing your avocados. I don't think the devil cares about your guacamole at all, in fact. But as your pastor, I do. Okay? I, I care. I, I love guacamole. Anyway. I'm. So we get this one side where people over acknowledge and glorify and stay in a hyper state of fear. Like, listen acknowledging that war that you walk out on isn't designed to make you afraid, that's not what I'm trying to do here. I want to make you alert. There's a difference. Peter said, be alert. He didn't say be afraid. He tells us, look, resist him steadfastly in the faith. We'll look at that here in a second. But uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher and teacher said, I'm certain that one of the main causes of the mess we are in today is because the devil's being forgotten. We look at everything, we, we get into political season and the elections come up like they're about to come up and, and everybody gets attacking each other. How about pray for that guy that's got a stupider point of view than you? <laughs> More stupid. I know the grammar Nazis. I know I said that wrong anyway. <laughs> yeah. Someone who's got a you know, you think they're dumb, not they just don't get it. Maybe they're blind, maybe it's darkness. Yeah. Maybe you're blind, maybe is anybody all gonna be praying for each other, but anyway. Um, Or we we, we have a problem in our relationships with our family. Our kids go crazy, and we're like, why is this kid so rebellious? Maybe there's something tempting them away from the Lord and your teachings to darkness. Are you following me? Well, Peter says, I think one of the reasons he's forgotten is it says it right there in the passage. Your enemy, the devil, listen to what it says. He prowls like a roaring lion. He prowls. Okay, Lions, when lions go, like, like, you know, when they come out, like, it's basically declaring that a lion is a hunter. Now I have friends who are hunters. In fact, my son-in-law is a hunter has a really good job of that. Keeps his freezer nice and full. I won't tell you all the things he kills. It'll make some of you sad and mad and all that stuff. But, <laughs> but, but one thing I know about hunters is they don't grab their rifle and go stomping out in the, hey deer, hey turkeys, here I am. Right? No one does that. Why? Because they're going to run away. When you're stalking your prey and want to get them, you don't announce your coming and neither does the devil. In fact, the Bible says he transforms himself into an angel of light. At times, he will even be appealing and seductive and it seems good. I don't think anyone, when I, when I went into a life of sexual immorality when I was younger, I didn't enter into that because I, I was sold on the appeal of the satisfaction it would give me. I didn't know the devastation it was going to give me. Drug addicts who get involved in drugs, or they smoke weed for the first time, and then they, they, the, the proverbial gateway drug, and they end up doing more things and getting deeper in. They don't. They don't start out going. You know what I want to be? I want to be an addict. No one does that. Yeah. Are you following me? In every way that people find themselves, I was just reading about a prostitute who was telling her story about how she ended up in prostitution. It started out with her addiction. Then she met this pimp who would keep her nice and. Uh, uh, you know, loaded on drugs. but Meanwhile, beating her mercilessly to get what he wanted out of her with his clients. It was addiction. It was an open door. She didn't wake up and say, my 10-year plan is to be a prostitute. And when you look at someone you see is in bondage, have mercy on them because while you may find them foolish, they may be wishing for freedom and not finding it. They may be crying out, I just want to be free and they don't know how to find it. Show them the way, don't show them judgment. He prowls. He's not announcing himself. So you need to know you have a supernatural enemy and he's not coming up going, hi, that fight you're having with your spouse, that thing, he's not coming, hi, I'm the devil. (laughs) When you're working with a coworker and there's a a strong emotional and sexual connection beginning to happen under the surface, there might be a devil there going, hey, this will be good, this will be satisfying, This this will bring you joy when really it's gonna bring you pain and suffering, not only to you, but those around you. You have a supernatural enemy. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The mindset you need to know while having a supernatural enemy is you can defeat your enemy. You can win. James 4, James chapter 4 verse 7 says, therefore submit to God. That's your first step. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, you can defeat your enemy. So why aren't you winning? I want to tell a story at times. Some of you are winning. You're saying, I'm winning. Okay, okay. Those 10 of you are awesome. The rest of you, why are you struggling with winning? You know, I'm gonna tell a story that comes out of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a story of David and Goliath. Legendary story. Movies have been made about it. But there's some real powerful things that are kind of embedded in the story that if you look closely at it. And I'm not gonna read it to you because a lot of you know it. It would take a lot of time. So I'm just gonna summarize it. But David David was the eighth son of, of, of eight brothers, uh, was the least favored in his household. I know when you read about him, he's highly favored, but he wasn't at this time. And his brothers were served in Saul, King Saul's military, and his dad told David, David, I want you to take some lunch out to your brother. So he, he brought, who knows what he brought him? I would say sandwiches, but I don't know what they eat over there. So he brought he brought him lunch. And as he comes out there, there's this giant, a man who stands about nine feet tall, standing with a spear as heavy as a weaver's beam. So picture, like I don't know if you've seen a weaving, but... It's 145 pounds. It's got a metal tip. I forget what the tip weighs in and of itself. And this guy can actually chunk this thing. He's standing in full plated armor and he's never lost a battle in his life. And he's part of the Philistine army and they've squared off against the Israeli army in this valley. And he's crying and he's calling out to Israel. Israel, oh armies of Israel, I defy you and I defy your God. He's trying to tick them off. You send somebody out here and we'll compete. We'll fight today. And whoever wins, whoever wins, the other army will be the slaves of that people. And they're like, King Saul has no one to send out. The Israelite guys like, <laughs> their, their knees are knocking. They're paralyzed with fear. Here's this other guy that comes up. David comes up. He's bringing his brother's lunch. About that time on a different day, this has been going on for like a week or two. The giant starts calling out again just as David walks up to bring lunch. And David's like, what? What am I hearing? And his brother's having to be standing close And he's like, and he says, and he, David makes a statement. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here's what he was saying. Cause circumcision for the Israelites was the way a man entered covenant with God. Yeah. And so he's saying, who is this person that's not in covenant with God, defying our God armies of Israel. You are in covenant with God. What are you doing? And his brother who's in that army looks at him and says, you're so arrogant, David. You, you got a big mouth. David's like, what, what did I do, man? Is there not a cause? And so gets back to King Saul. King Saul calls this boy over there. He says, he sees him. He's thinking, King Saul's like, I got a champion. And they bring David in front of him. Oh, he's a boy. He's a young man. How's this going to go? He looks at him and says, you can't win this thing. David said, oh, I can. He said, when I was tending to my father's sheep, there was a lion that came. I killed it with my bare hands. How many know you're tough? Like whatever martial art that is, was that the foundation of Krav Maga? Because I'm telling you, that's something. So <laughs> Israeli martial arts. Anyway, uh, so, so uh, he, he, he says, I took him out. And then a bear, he says, then a bear came later and I killed him too. And this giant, this out of covenant man will be just like one of them. Saul's like, cool, all right, hey, He you you looks like you got some game. He throws on, he says, put my armor on. He tries to put his armor on. He's trying to walk around. He says, I can't wear this. And David throws that off, and he grabs a staff, his shepherding staff, and he takes a sling. Now, a slingshot's not like, what, like the kids, David and Goliath, I think they always had this little looking slingshot. It's not what it looked like. It was, a, it was a braided cord that would come down into a leather pouch. They would drop the rock in there, and then they'd have another cord come up, and they would swing it. Like this. You can find these things online and see people actually demonstrating this. Here's what David was saying when he told Saul, I can't wear this armor. He was saying, First of all, in all those other situations, my protection wasn't armor, it was my covenant relationship with God. And so I'm going to go out and face him in that armor. Yeah. And so he drops his rock in there. And he and he begins, he looks at this giant, and the giant calls out, What am I a dog that you come at me with sword with a with a, with a staff and a, in sl- this little sling? Are you kidding me? David's probably over here like, well, yeah, you're kind of dog like, you ugly little anyway. And then he says, he says, and then he says, he looks at him and he says, No, that's not what I'm coming. You came against me with sword and spear, and you taunted the God of Israel. So because of that, I'm not coming at you with sword and spear, I come at you in the name of the God that you have defied. And today, I will cut your head off, feed your flesh to the fowl of the air, and I'm gonna take, we're gonna knock out you Philistines today. You know that giant was over there like, you know, ah, like you see the movies, he's all mad. And he starts running at David, and David's go. bring it. (laughs) Pop, (laughs) falls dead. David's a champion. Everybody shouts, they win. Listen, here's the question I have when I read that story. Where were the rest of the covenant people of God? Why did one person in a covenant with God have confidence to face the enemy and the rest of them were afraid except they were more focused on the size of the giant than the size of their God? How about you? What are you focused on in your life? The size of your giant or the size of your God? See, when Joshua and Caleb were with Moses and they were exploring the promised land, they came into a land that was filled with giants that God said they were going to dispossess. They were going to take this land. And when they came to spy out the land, the 10 spies were afraid, saying, no way, they're too big. And we were small in our sight and we were small in their sight. And Joshua and Caleb were like, are you kidding me? Our God's going to crush them. They're our bread today. Let's eat their lunch. It was a whole different mindset. It wasn't, listen, it was a whole different mindset. One had the mindset of fear. The other one had the mindset of a fighter. The reason one had a mindset of fear is they were focused on the problem. They weren't focused on the power of God. I've learned to know that silence is you thinking and not boredom factor. I know you're looking inside and you should because God wants to do great things in and through your life. He wants you to be more than a conqueror. He wants you to, David won because first of all, he recognized he had a covenant relationship with God and that guy didn't, which meant, as far as he was concerned, that guy's toast. Second of all, David realized God had been preparing him for this moment his whole life. He didn't have to do anything new. Sometimes we get in a new situation like, oh, we're trying to figure, we get all anxiety, we start focusing on us. If God puts you in some new circumstance that he wants to glorify himself through, know that you got everything it takes because what you need and what it takes is God, not you. God just needs you to show up and partner with him in faith and say, watch me work. You realize he was plated from armor. He was plated from armor from like everywhere in his body. And that rock found the one spot that had no armor on it. Are you following me? Do you think David was that accurate? Or did God go, let me help you. Another oh, angel come up I'm like, you know, alley-oop, tap. <laughs> <and then. laughs> so good. Second thing is David knew the power of the name of God. I didn't come against you in the name of myself. I don't come against you in my own strength. I come against you in the name of of God Almighty whom you've defied. When we come up against the powers of darkness, we come up against them in the name of Jesus. Some of you, you wake up in the middle of the night afraid. You have terrors. You have anxieties in your life. And Jesus wants to meet you in that place. I've been there myself. And here's what I learned to do. I learned that to have authority but not to use it, you might as well not have it at all. Jesus said in his word, I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and no thing, nothing shall by any means hurt you. And so what if we approach that situation? You wake up and that thing's on you, you, you spirit of anxiety, you spirit of fear, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I come against you in the name of Jesus, not my own strength. I speak peace over myself and I command you to depart from my mind in Jesus' name. What would happen? You'd fall back and go to sleep. That's what would happen. But some of you, because you grew up in traditions that didn't actually invoke the name of Jesus, you didn't understand what that means to have that. I'm telling you what it means to have it. You actually use it. I've had people come up and they'll say stuff like, Man, you do this. I had a guy tell me one time, if you do that, it's going to fail. And I was like, In the day, I don't receive that in the name of Jesus. He looked at me like, Oh, what's that mean? You don't receive that in the name of Jesus. It means it's going to succeed in Jesus' name. Because I'm being led by God to do this. He found that weird. Nevertheless, if I look at our two paths, <laughs> the fruit speaks for itself. Jesus sent out his disciples, again, not to deal with symbols of evil, but real evil. But he gave them power to deal with it. And you have that same power if you're in a relationship with Jesus. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you do not have that same power. And you need to enter into a covenant like David did if you want God to be your armor, which leads to my... Well, let me say one other thing. That passage where he says, uh, the devil rubs around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In the New King James Version, it says that seeking someone that he may devour. Now, that's an interesting word because, and it's actually there in the original language. May is a permission word. May I do this? Yes, you may. Can I do this is a capability word. See, that when you're a Christian and you're in covenant with God, the devil doesn't have ability to hurt you unless you give him permission to. So how do we give him permission? We open doors through submitting to temptation. Now we come under the dark, a dark ruler, and we can come back out from under that. You know, if uh, we we do it by um, by the things we believe and the things we take in and the things we watch and the things we meditate on. Here's the beauty of it: just like if you ever, some of you rent houses and all that, and inevitably anybody who rents a house has had a bad tenant at some point. Just talked to the the Vales today; they were telling me they're in a situation they're cleaning up a house for a bad tenant. Here's the beauty of it. If I, by permission, let someone get into my house that they're renting and they hurt my house, trash my house, don't pay their rent on time, because I am the authority, ultimately I can evict them. It doesn't mean there won't be a little wrestling match there. It doesn't mean they won't try to be a squatter, but eventually the judge, the police, whatever, the judge will rule in favor. The sheriff will show up and say, you are out of here. And if they don't come, he'll arrest them. Are you following me? In the same way, whatever you've allowed into your life, resume your authority. You, by authority, let it in. Exercise the authority of Jesus and evict it in Jesus' name. Clay and Natalie, Clay told me, I was mentoring Clay yesterday. He's one of my, he's he's the guy that leads our prayer ministry and and a great intercessor. But uh, he told me a great story about him and his wife that really illustrated this point. I asked for permission to share it. He said that uh, in, in all of 2018, his wife Natalie kept struggling with um, urinary tract infections, and those things can give you fevers and chills and, and they're painful, it's just a painful deal. She had this on and off all throughout 2018. It was a terrible year for her. 2019, in March, they decided to get surgery uh, because they were concerned that there could be a cancerous situation, which he said all that did was, was steal her money and, and put a lot of fear in us. By October, she got shingles, so she still battled all this stuff. She got shingles. And then she uh, had this pain in her ankle. It just mysteriously appeared. And it was, it was, a, it was a pain. She would, she would literally, I watched her working around her. She would walk and she was limping. And that's when I started taking notice. And she said, you, they said, two things happened. And Clay had said, you sent out a teaching to us, to all your leaders to listen by Church of the Highlands on spiritual warfare. He said, so we listened to it. And we began to apply that stuff and said, you're, the devil, this is not gonna happen anymore. We rebuke you in Jesus' name. And he said, the shingles cleared up. He said, then she was walking around. You had it was on a Monday night at a prayer meeting. You walked up, and I talked about how compassion also leads to the miracles of God. I said, you had compassion on her, and you felt and, and she had said, Clay feels like it's spiritual warfare. You pray for it. Her, her ankle was healed instantly. Yeah. Now listen, how long did she have to deal with that? The moment she realized that, the moment they realized it was an attack, all they had to do was turn around and deal with it. But it, they had to actually exercise their authority, and so do you. And you can. When the third mindset you need, then in the light of that, if there is a battle, you must prepare for battle. You must prepare. If you want to win, you must prepare for battle. Ephesians 6, 13 through 18 says this, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Paul's telling us that we need to get prepared for the battle. How many of you have gone on a trip or a vacation? Uh, You've done something like that and you had to prepare before you went, right? You had to pack. And what you pack ultimately determines where you're going. So if I'm gonna go to the beach, right, I'll probably pack you know, flip-flops and, and, and shorts, and, and, you know, and if some of you like going to water where you're snorkeling, you might do that. And if somebody looked at it, they could tell where we're going by what we're packing. Now, uh, the same thing would be true if we, you, know, you were gonna go to the mountains. You might pack some cold weather gear, and, and you would look like you're ready for snow, and we would know where you're going by what you're packing, so, so, so let me ask, like if you're, by the way, if you're going to go scuba, dive or scuba diving, right, you don't want to be wearing skydiving gear and vice versa. <laughs> Paul the Apostle says you're going into a battle, and what you need is the armor of God. Let me ask you a question. When you're packing for a trip, when do you pack? Before the trip or during the trip? Before. When should you put on armor? Before the battle or when you're in the battle? Before. Yeah, before, because if you're doing it in the battle, you might have a problem. Hey, hey wait, stop the battle, I gotta get dressed. It doesn't work that way. Preparation is essential. So then what is, ultimately, what is the armor of God? So I've heard people, like I, I would do, even when I was young in the Lord, I would hear teachings on, on, on spiritual warfare, on putting on the armor of God and all that stuff. And so I would literally get up in the morning and I'd be like this, in the name of Jesus, I gird my loins with truth in Jesus' name. I mean, symbolically, I don't have any lo- I don't have any... Underwear I'm putting on at that time, I'm just saying it, you know. Then I gird my breast, I put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, and, and I gird my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and, and, and I take up the sword of the Spirit and I shield the shield of faith, and I'm ready for my day. Hoorah, you know. <laughs> and the devils did weren't concerned one bit about that little exercise. Now, the good news is I memorized the passage through that process, but anyway. Um, um, uh, what really is important, because Paul the Apostle in another place says, put on the armor of light. Maybe in his day they got confused too, and he's like, No, no, no you missed my point on that. And the armor of light is what David put on. It's it's your relationship with God. It's practical, it's daily, it's relational, and it functions like armor to your life. God said to Abraham, Abraham, come before me and let me make you mature or perfect. And through that process of relationship, and this is what he says I will be your shield and your exceeding great reward. How I many know God's a good shield? God is good armor. And David, when he took off Saul's armor and, and took up by faith his relationship with God, he took up the better armor. Are, are you hearing me? And he was able to face. The the big problem, we'll call that big problem that giant. He was able to face his big problem because of his relationship and because of his faith in the God who he's in relationship with. That God would show up, if he would show up every day in in, in, in relationship, God would show up in any moment in the point of battle. And some of you, you don't have victory in your life because you don't have a practical relationship with God. You're a Christian. You'll wear the name, but do you walk the walk? I mean, if I married Lydia and she took my name, she's now no longer Lydia Butterfield, she's Lydia Nyman, but that she never came home, she was out with other men, how many know that she may have my name on her, but in practice, she's something else? Some of you have done that. You said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, but nothing ever changed. And if you want the battles, if you want to start winning the battles in your life, you've got to show up to the relationship so God can armor you in His nature, so that you can prevail against whatever it is you're facing. You know, uh, He says, "Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the Word of God, and then pray." You know, on on we have about 13 prayer meetings a week around here. We have uh, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. and then noon to 1 p.m. Monday through Friday and then on Monday we have a larger prayer meeting uh, at 7 p.m. And here's why we do this. like we don't, we don't create stuff for you to bore you. We create it to help us grow in God. We believe the prayer meeting is the most important meeting we have of the week. For every We have these two services here and even it, we have uh, these 30, you say that's I count 11 prayer meetings because we have two prayer meetings in the morning here also on Sunday morning. That's how important prayer is to this culture. Why? Because I don't think it's how great I preach that transforms a life. My messages will never transform your heart. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to do something in you that I can't do. And no preacher can do. And so we value that place of prayer. We worship Jesus Christ because he's worthy. We worship him because it's spiritual warfare. We have had in the last two worship nights that we had right here, the fourth Monday, of the month on the worship nights, we do a lot of ministry, personal ministry. We've prayed for healing. We had two ladies medically verified by their doctors of being healed of autoimmune diseases. Whoa. Listen, and one of them, one of them is, yeah, you can celebrate, I'm sorry. Give God praise yeah. for that, that's my bad. My bad, Holy Spirit. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, and one of them had had this autoimmune disease since she was six years old. Well, what, what happened? What's, what's happening in that dynamic? Well, you already heard about Natalie's story of being healed. Like, like, what happens when we show up? God shows up. Well, I grew up in church my whole life, and that never happened. Listen, if you, if you, are, if you live in a culture where the Holy Spirit's acknowledged in theology but not in practice, he doesn't show up any more than, my, any more than uh, I would be satisfied if my wife showed up in name only but not in practice. And it's not difficult. The one thing I love about God, I love his mercy. I love how quickly he turns. When we turn to him, he turns to us. He's waiting, in fact. The the prodigal son story tells a story of a father who's waiting for their children to return so he can train them to win in the tournament of their life that they can win that fight of faith. The other thing we have around here that I want to encourage you to be a part of is our small groups. You know what's better than one shield? Two shields. You know what's better than two? A bunch of shields. You know, one thing I learned in the military is if you have a, I was in the Marine Corps, if you have a fire team, that's okay. If you have a squad, that's better. If you have a platoon, now your enemy's a little nervous. You have a battalion walking through a valley and you all know how to march and hit at the same time because my son's in the air force and no offense, air force people, but you people need to work on that. But the Marine Corps, we watch and he hit and it sounds like it sounds like a bunch of people coming at you. I mean, you hear this thud and it sounds like a giant coming through there. If I was walking tiptoe through the tulips in the darkness, tiptoe through the tulips, I'm going to take on demons. Right? If I'm doing that, they're looking at me like, oh, we got you, boy. <laughs> See, the devil loves it when you isolate yourself. The Bible says he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Tell me, for those you got hurt in church, for those you got hurt in a relationship and you pulled away, how well did you grow during that time? Get honest with yourself. I know of no one, no one, I've never had one person answer that question go, I had a positive effect on me. I mean, a little bit of recourse, I get that, the and process. But when you're going months and months and months and months and now years, every single person goes into a dark hole. And you know who's in that dark hole? Powers of darkness. And they love to mess with your mind, put fear in your life, accuse you, lie to you, make you think no one loves you, make you alone. And it's a scary place. And so, um, I want to encourage you to get a part of those small groups. You know, Roman shields are an amazing thing. When the Roman soldiers, they would, they would get down when there were arrows. People to get their fiery arrows ready. They would literally get these shields that could lock to one another. They would get down. They'd have a shield this way, and then you have the back line come, and they would stand over the top, and you would. They would build this. Basically, wall and roof, so that when the fiery arrows, this is what Paul had in mind when he said the fiery darts of the enemy, when those things come off, they just kind of hit those shields and go, tick, 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 tick. and then once they're done getting that first volley off, because that's about how it's going to feel like, they run, charge the wall, or they're going to go up and attack the stronghold of the enemy. Well, you know what? That's what our small groups are. That's what it's meant to be. People are, I did one of your small groups. I didn't like it. What, okay, whose fault is that? How vulnerable were you? How real were you? What kind of relationships were you doing? Did you connect with anyone at a deeper level in your relationship with them? And I think if you do that, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put out this offer to you. Like, if you would give Lifeway Church a year of your life, you jump into small groups, quit making excuses. I, I can't find one on time. Start one then at the time that works for you, and then we'll invite people to that. <laughs> okay? Quit making excuses, all right? Uh, um, uh, you know, I, 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 just, I get in our small groups come to church on Sunday when you're here don't sit there like I don't feel like coming to church today okay if you don't come flip it online but connect with the messages grow in that way so a large group gathering worshiping God together that's the worship part to me is the more important part it's hard to do that as well in your living room as you can with a group you can, I cannot experience what I experienced here in this service this morning in my living room by myself it's just not going to happen you guys push the roof up God felt our praise today are you following me and so, so you, you come to that, you, you, um, you come to a, at least one prayer meeting a week, just try to pray, build your prayer life, learn to do this, and then get involved in, in, in a, on a serve team, what imp- we call an impact team, to impact lives. And here's what's gonna happen. A year from now, you're gonna look back, and you're gonna go, well, what happened? I mean, I changed so much in that year. That's just what happens. That's what happens when you join yourself to God's family, God's army, when you come together, my son did join the Air Force. And the Air Force, it's been great for him. And one of the things I see is what happens when you get people with a common vision, common mission, common thing they're going after. And I've seen that proven in his character, his discipline, his growth. He could not have done it on his own. He needed the family. And some of you are in the same place. And you need the family. And, and so I want to invite you uh, to do that. I want to finish this with, um, with this. You know, Uh, I'll tell you another bully story. You guys want for one more story before I finish this? So after my dad had been training me during that time, it was the same time I was 14 years old, a friend of mine, Sean, went over to my brother's girlfriend's house. Her name's Jennifer, also 14 years old. For those who are Christians who are a little more astute, again, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so what are kids doing dating at 14? I don't know. It didn't make any sense for us either. But anyway, but we were there. so, So Sean and I were there, and this guy comes out. He was a jerk of all jerks. His name was Kyle, 17 years old. Uh, was much taller, about the same size as the guy I fought in that um, uh, uh, you know match that I had previously. But the difference was, when he started taunting us, he began to focus on my friend Sean. And I did some things, not so godly things, to get his attention drawn to me. And we were up against a wall, literally up against a physical wall at the entryway of this this girl's house. We were inside. We were outside. It was a brick house. Kyle's taunting us and saying all this stuff, and I'm egging him on. I know he's going to hit me. I'm not wondering if he's going to hit me. I hope, listen to this. You know the day has changed when you hope he hits you. <laughs> Previously, I would have been frozen, but I knew he's going to hit me, and autopilot's about to happen. And he did. He hit me, poof, punches my face, my foot's coming up immediately. Poosh, and I'm dropping in, and I'm pounding this guy. I'm, and he's up against a brick wall, so I'm having fun, you know. And, um, and when it was over, he ran. He, he literally ran away like he was... He, he was hurt. Hey, let me tell you what happened. That would have never happened if I had not submitted myself to my father's training. And some of you, you've grown up in church, you, have, you know the Bible, you've memorized verses, you have the skills, you, you, you have that part. What's missing is that I can win because of what Jesus has done. And if I will spend time in the presence of God in a relationship, daily, practically, I'm already in covenant, I just gotta show up. Then those things, those addictions, the lies that you face in your mind, the insecurities that you face, God will meet you in that place and, and, and strengthen you to win. And he wants you to win. But listen, it starts David won because of his covenant. If you don't know Jesus today, and I don't mean I know church and I know religion, I mean Jesus. we said so many times around here, I, I went to church, I mean, I, I did it a little bit. I was an eight-year-old, I got converted, and then I lived like the devil the rest of my, till I got in the Marine Corps. Ironically, in the Marine Corps, and in, in the place of great hedonism of where I was at was where I actually surrendered my life to Jesus and he took me on a journey and began to clean me up and, and help me to grow in God. You can go to church your whole life. I used to say it this way, Keith Green's would have made this popular, going to you know, go, uh, going to church doesn't make you any more of a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? Like you can show up here, that's not what makes you, uh, in fact, a church isn't this stuff, it isn't the metal, it isn't the building, it isn't the paint, it isn't the LED wall, it's none of that stuff church's people who've been sanctified through the blood of being set apart through the blood of Jesus Christ by receiving what he did on the cross. He, by receiving Jesus as the Lord and Savior, because he died for us and rose again, saying that if anyone believes that in their sins will be wiped away, they'll be adopted into the family of God. They get a new dad who's going to train them to fight. Would you stand to your feet? You know why we do it? We do here at Life. Because I love people. And I get that because Jesus loves people. I want you to know something. I want you to really think about something. The Bible says that Jesus was in heaven being worshiped night and day. And of his own volition, his own will, he came to die on a cross for you. And he didn't wait for you to agree to follow him first. He just put the pledge out there. I'm going for it. And I'll see how these people will respond. And the Bible tells us in, in the book of John that he came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And I would love for you to enter into that right to become children of God. It's a right because Jesus paid the price. And if your debt, if I pay off your house, you can't go pay for it again. It's already paid for. In fact, in fact, if you have tenants living in that house that shouldn't be there and I buy the house, it's now my house and I'm going to kick out all your bad tenants. And if you got darkness and demons and garbage messing with your head, things in your mind, uh, anxiety, if you would surrender your house, the house of your person to Jesus, he'll buy that house. He'll drive out the tenants and he'll invite you to live in there with him. How many would like that today? So listen, I want to finish with this this illustration. See, the Bible says that darkness has rulers. And some of you, I wanna talk to the Christians before I give people an opportunity to receive Jesus here. If you're a follower of Jesus, I've done all that, Jimmy, and it was real, okay? But let me show you something. Imagine over me there's a big dark cloud. It's just dark and it's heavy. And it's so dark it can create abject darkness. And I step under that through, I, I make a choice to step under this. And now I'm in this darkness. The easiest way to get out from this darkness is to simply step under them into the sunlight of who God is. So if you made choices through sin, temptation, whatever, and now you've come under darkness, here's how I handle it when I mess up. God, first of all, I confess my sins to anybody pertains to. Then God, forgive me. I go to God, forgive me of my sins. I renounce submitting to this darkness. And I announce my submission to Jesus, King of light. I get under the light I renounce darkness, I get under light. Some of you need to learn to speak out loud those things because demons are legalists. And if you, Jesus is paid for it all, it's that easy. It doesn't take any more effort than that. It just accepts sincerity in the heart with faith. I renounce this, I announce my submission. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But that only works for those of you who know Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? you're here today and you're saying, man, I hear you, I am that guy that's come to church, I am that girl that's come to church, I've heard the teaching, I even know, I know the Bible verses, David and Goliath's well known to me, but I have not actually in practice and in my heart surrendered my life to Jesus and I want to know Jesus Christ, I want to know the power, I want the anxiety to stop, I want the lies to stop, I wanna lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Friends, he will do it today, if you can believe he died for you and rose again. If that's you today and you want that, would you raise your hand high? And I'll pray for you, I won't call you for it. We've had, look, I know you're here today. Don't let your eternity be determined by whatever embarrassment or whatever. If you're here today, I want you to raise your hand high right now. Jesus died naked for you. Get bold for him, come on. Pray this would be today. Y'all pray this, pray this in your movement, in your relationship with Jesus. Say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for how I've submitted to darkness. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. I renounce submission to darkness, devils and demons, whether through the things I watch, the things I hear, And the people I fellowship with, I renounce that. And I confess that the Holy Spirit will be my fellowship. The Word of God will be my meditation. Holy Spirit, fill me. Lead me into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God thanks for that.